Well, I hope you have your Bibles with you. You're going to need your Bible. You're actually going to be, we're going to be together in John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. However, we're also going to be drawing a lot of emphasis to Psalm chapter 23. So if you want to put your fingers in both, you don't really need to get to Psalm 23. I'll put that scripture, uh, scripture up on the screen. But the John 10, I don't, and I do that for a reason. I want you bringing your Bibles. The main text that I am preaching from, I rarely put that up on the screen so that you will have your Bibles, that you can mark up your Bibles, you can make notes in your Bibles. So when you come to Cornerstone, please bring your Bibles. George Adam Smith, he's an Old Testament scholar, and he once described the shepherds of Israel as sleepless, far-sighted, weather-beaten, armed, leaning on his staff, and looking out over his scattered sheep, every one of them on his heart. That is a picture of a shepherd of Israel. And I want you to keep that in your mind as we return again to John chapter 10. And if you're just joining us, uh, we are in a series that is looking at the I am's of the gospel of John. There's actually a lot more I am's in the gospel of John, but the ones that are attached with a metaphor, there are seven of them. And we've looked at several of them already. We've looked at I am the bread of life. We've looked at I am the door of the sheep. We've looked at I am the light of the world. We're going to be in the fourth one this time. I am the good shepherd. And so it begins in John chapter 10. We're going to begin to see that in verse 11. But before we do that, and this is where I really hope I can get your attention. Can you really grab hold of this for a moment? Because without... Without what I'm about to tell you, this series really cannot make sense. There's two main reasons. I'm sure there's a lot more that I just haven't grasped, which is not an unlikely thing. But there's at least two main reasons why Jesus uses these I am statements or why he gives these I am statements. Here's one. Every time that he does this, he gives another glimpse of who he is, his character, his attributes. What we're going to look at today, I am the good shepherd, you're going to see, I, I really hope that not one of us can leave here without truly understanding that if you are a daughter or a son of the Father, a brother or a sister of Jesus Christ, he is your good shepherd. Jesus is your good shepherd, meaning the care that he has for you is unparalleled. You will not find it anywhere. Now, I know there's several here that are really in the midst of right now suffering. Right now, I'm sure feeling abandoned. And you're really, when you hear this sermon, I am the good shepherd, there's going to be a collision, I'm guessing, between Faith in flesh, between God and your mind. And you've got to let your mind lose the battle. You've got to let your flesh lose the battle. You've got to bring your mind into conformity to the word of God. So when God reveals himself in Jesus Christ as the good shepherd, if you are in him, if you have a relationship with him, he is your good shepherd. If he reveals that to you, which he's about to do, then you've got to bring your soul you got to bring your soul under that and refuse, refuse to let doubt linger. 
You could do that. I could do that. We could do that together. You can make your mind bend its will to the word of God. You've got to let it hold its authority over you. And sometimes you do that through confession. God, this is really hard. Because I don't feel this way. Well, your feelings have gotten in front of your thinking. And you've got to get your thinking in front of your feelings. And you've got to get your thinking underneath the authority of the word of God. You may not feel like this is true. That's irrelevant. There's a lot of things I don't feel like doing that I've got to do to be obedient. You do as well. You've got to get your thinking enslaved to the truth of God's word. Let it be your master. And you bring yourself under it. So as we begin to do this, there's two reasons he does these I am statements. One, so that you can see a facet of who he is. It's like the game Boggle. I don't know if you play it. I love that game. You know, you've got all of these cubes with letters on it, and it sits in this tray. You've got a salt shaker for a timer, and you've got to guess at least three-letter words and more, and they all interconnect. And if you played that game enough, you'll know that if you stop halfway through and just rotate that dish, all of a sudden you can see lots more words that you didn't see before. Well, that's what we're doing. We're rotating Jesus. Let me just say, Jesus is rotating himself. You get to see a new facet of him today in the I am the good shepherd. But there's one more reason. I've given you one. You get to see, we get to see a facet of his character. Secondly, and this is huge, without this, it doesn't make sense, this series. You ready? Every single time he's, he gives us an I am statement with a metaphor, he's showing us another reason he came into this world as the redeemer and savior. Because the I am the good shepherd is different than I am the light. Now listen, you should have been, we should be tracking this. I am the bread of life means he can satisfy every soul. And he wants to do that. Anybody who turns to him will be supremely satisfied. You will have joy. Does that mean you're going to have joy on day one of your Christian life as much as you ever will be having? No, you will grow into that. But the bread of life is there to help you. The door of the sheep. He's your protector. He's going to hold your faith secure. He is going to keep the enemy from coming in and having its way with you. I am the light of the world. I am the one of which can, who can open your eyes. You can't even, I cannot even love God without the light of the world because I can't even see him without the light of the world. If you turn all the lights off, you can't see the objects in the room. Well, that's true spiritually as well. The light of the world has to shine into your soul and then all of a sudden you see, I'm a sinner. I don't really like that view, but thank God he sent a redeemer to, to die for my sins. So every time we get an I am statement, he gives another facet of why, of who he is, and he gave another reason, another glimpse as, into what he's doing in this world as our Savior. And that's really critical that we remember that. So you might remember last week, there was a man born blind, Jesus heals him. Born blind, he heals him, demonstrating the light of the world. And when he gave credit, this man gave credit to Jesus, the Pharisees kick him out of the synagogue. That was a terrifying threat to a Jewish person. To a Jewish person, they were taught that to be expelled out of the synagogue, you must have done something so bad that God has cursed you because you're now cut off from him and you're cut off from Jewish society. 
They lived in fear. And the Pharisees and the scribes always had this card to throw down to get you to do what they wanted you to do. They expelled them out of, a, out of the synagogue. And Jesus hears about this. Look at chapter 9, verse 30, 35, if you want to see it. He goes to find the guy. He goes to find the man. And he affirms to him, I mean, come on, read this sometime. This is beautiful what Jesus does to this formerly blind man that he heals, expelled out of the synagogue. He goes to find the man, and then he begins to show him that God himself, he's Jesus, he's God, certainly loves him, and that he will bring, he will bring justice to the false leaders of Israel. And to underscore this, he preaches a message in chapter 10 on how he is the good shepherd. But what does it mean that I am the good shepherd and how does it impact us today? That's the real aim of this message. I'm going to give you three points. And the first one is this. We have a good shepherd if you've put your faith in Jesus. Now look what it says. Very simply, verse 11. John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. Now, there is so much here that we've got to pause and we've got to unpack this. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you, tighten the belt of your mind or gird yourselves with truth, if you want to use Old Testament metaphorical language. Get ready. I'm going to give you a glimpse of what shepherding looked like and how it applies for us to us today. But you got to really be ready for this. So, I am the good shepherd. Five words. A lot in there. Look at the word good. If I were you, I would underline that. I'd draw a little line to your margin of your Bibles, and I would define it. Good means desirable and pleasing, listen, to God. We don't look at good that way very often. The word good means what is desirable, what is pleasing vertically. To God, that's what that word good means. It has a vertical direction to it, which puts the description of the character of Jesus in a vertical light. Jesus pleased God. So I am the good shepherd isn't really that Jesus is a wonderful shepherd to, in my mind. That's sort of penultimate, meaning that's not really the greatest factor here. He is a good shepherd in the mind of his father. So you've got to take the word good and you bring it vertical. And you say God the father really, really was pleased with his son's shepherding. So that's how we start out. I am the good shepherd. God really, the father, was pleased with his son. But what's the word shepherd mean? Now this is really interesting. In the Hebrew language, remember Old Testament translated from Hebrew, New Testament mostly from Greek, street Greek, not the high classic Greek, a little bit of uh, Aramaic. But in the Hebrew language, Old Testament, shepherd was a word that meant, of course, we all know this, to feed or lead to a pasture, a flock. Okay, It means to care for a flock. Now, now you're thinking, I'm sure, if you're really connected into the sermon, that was extremely anticlimactic are some of you awake but the word had another definition it had another way it was used in Israel's vernacular in their language it was used for companion or friend 
It was used for someone that you cherish and that you really take a lot of pleasure in. I'm going to show you how God used this with Moses. Look on the screen and see this. Exodus 33. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That's the same word for shepherd. It's the same word. So I am the good shepherd. While we've already unpacked so much that we really could spend the whole message on. I am pleasing to my father. We're going to see why as we unfold this. And I desire and long to be your companion and friend. Now, now you got to get this. I am, this is Jesus speaking. I am pleasing to the heavenly father. You got to take it vertical. Now you take it horizontal. And I long and desire to be your companion and friends. That's why I am a good shepherd. Now, I am sure that most of us, listen, including me, until this week when I studied this, never looked at good shepherd like that. We don't look at it like that normally. And yet the Bible, what Jesus is doing is he's showing us his character and then what he came into this world to do. I came in to be your companion and your friend and to live in a way that's pleasing to my father. Now, let's really get going on this. This is just introduction, basically, of point one. Nowhere do we see this more clearly than Psalm 23. Now, you've got an option. We love options, don't we? You don't like authoritarian pastors that tell you you have to do everything. So you can either look on the screen to the sides, or you can turn to Psalm 23. Oh, what a wonderful church this is. If you turn to Psalm 23, then immediately look at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now, when a Jewish person in first century Israel heard Jesus say, I am the good shepherd, their minds, listen, your mind might not have, but their minds were going to go to Psalm 23. It's like the most beloved of all psalms. It's the most tender of all psalms. And it immediately begins to teach us how the good shepherd shepherds. Now, sheep are incredibly, and some of y'all thought I was going to say stupid, right? That they are. But they're incredibly nervous animals. They're easily frightened. There are reports of a rabbit jumping out of a hedgerow, sending an entire flock in a mad panic and, and running away. This is just how nervous they are. And in order for a sheep, now listen, get this, in order for a sheep to lie down, look at verse 1, look at verse 2, he makes me lie down. In green pastures, in order for a sheep to lie down, listen, you've got to get this, they've got to be completely free of all fear. They will not lie down if they're anxious about anything. And the mere presence, listen, the mere presence of a flock's shepherd, even just walking into the sheepfold, has an immediate palpable effect on the entire flock. Now, sheep constantly struggle for dominance. Now, i got to keep telling you, the Bible consistently, over and over, compares us to sheep. Not the world, listen, not the world, the church. 
Christians to sheep. You don't become unsheep-like when you get saved. You're still a sheep. Now you know your shepherd. You know his voice, and he knows you. But sheep constantly struggle for dominance with each other. They headbutt. They push each other. And they won't lie down. Listen, they won't even lie down if there's any friction with any of the other sheep. If there's any, any fighting going on with the other sheep, all of the flock struggles to lie down. They won't lie down if they're being tormented by flies or if there's parasites in their body. They won't lie down if they're hungry. Now, go back to Psalm 23, verses 1 and 2. Now, read that again with all of this in mind. And all of a sudden, we realize, wait a minute, we're pretty similar, the sheep of God's pasture. We're not really able to rest well when we're at odds with each other. Come on, can you really have a good night's sleep when you're in a fight with your spouse? If you can, you've got problems. You're not supposed to be able to. You may act like you slept well, but the truth being, and we have a couple people here about to get married, Listen, there's a reason you deal with things before the sun goes down. You're not going to sleep well. The very first thought when you wake up is going to be the fight the evening before. It's still front, center, top of mind. We're a lot like this. We don't rest well when there's friction with each other. How easily afraid we can become. How uneasy we are when our spiritual enemies torment us how anxious we are grazing at the grass of this world but it never ever seems to fill us up jesus promises sheep matthew 5 6 blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied the shepherd will satisfy you he fills our souls with satisfaction strengthens us to overcome our enemies he's constantly present with us to calm us in frightening times now you know what for sheep you know one of the most alarming things for a shepherd is moving water it's a threat to sheep with all of their long hair that that hair there's one sheep that pastor matthew told me about they got lost for months and months actually years they finally found it somehow it survived it's wool that had never been fleeced in that six i think it was six years if i remember right and never was fleeced it weighed when they fleeced the sheep 60 pounds so when you think of a sheep and you think of all that wool all of that fleece that is heavy enough as it is but when you saturate it like a sponge with water sheep cannot swim they sink so water that's moving is a threat so the shepherd will often dig and divert water into a shallow pool so that sheep can drink still water. I mean, look at the psalm. It's all in there. They could drink still water. That's because the shepherd got the water diverted and made still. And by the way, sheep really don't need to drink from a river. They don't need to drink from a stream or a shallow pool very often because they make a habit of getting up early in the land of Israel and they eat the dew-saturated grass. They get enough water from the dew that they hardly ever need to drink from another water source. Now I want you to listen to Deuteronomy 32 too, Christian brother and sister. 
May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass and like showers upon the herb. This is the word of God. Listen, if you drink from the word of God, if you eat from God's word, you're not going to hunger. You're not going to thirst after what the world offers you because your soul is satisfied. I'm pretty sure this is true, that you will never find either you or me or any Christian brother or sister that is drinking from the wells of the world. You're never going to find them drinking much and deeply from God's word. There is a paradox there. You want to quit running after the things that so easily entangle you? Get into the word. Drink and eat. You will be satisfied. You won't hunger for the things of your flesh and the things that the world promises. But look at verse 3 in Psalm 23. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, a sheep, a shepherd worried about cast sheep. That's when a heavy sheep lies down in a hollow in the ground and they roll on its side and it shifts its center of gravity and they can't get up. Kind of like me after I eat Thanksgiving meal. I mean, I'm just like this. I'm a cast sheep on that day. Now, this is gross. It's odd, but it's true. And a cast sheep, they've rolled over. They can't get back up. Gas builds up quickly. The circulation cuts off. If it's hot and sunny, listen, this is crazy. That sheep can die within hours. This is, this is a fear of shepherds. This is why they're constantly counting their sheep. This is why they're constantly paying attention. Where are their sheep? Because they can so easily roll over and not be able to get up and they can die. You know what he does when he finds a cast sheep? How beautiful, how tender is this? Look at verse 3 again, he restores my soul. Well, here's what a shepherd does. He has to roll the sheep over. He has to lift it up on its wobbling legs. He holds it upright. He rubs its limbs until the circulation is restored. And then he kind of walks with it until it can walk on its own. That's the picture of the compassion and the intimate care of the good shepherd for his people. Now listen, have you ever fallen into sin? All right, let's get a little bit more recent in our mind. Did you have a week this week where you really struggled with holiness? Did you doubt God this week? Did you slander or gossip anybody this week? Did you complain at work or at home this week? This is what it means to roll over and you lose your center of gravity. And if you're not careful, it begins to squelch your spiritual life. And the good shepherd will come and he will lift you back up onto your feet. He will get you restored and on your way again. For all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know what sheep will do? Well, I just read they have a constant tendency to wander. They have a constant tendency to wander. And by the way, when we fall into that hollow and when we fall spiritually, Isaiah 41 uses beautiful imagery. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is shepherd metaphor. This is shepherd terminology. And by the way, some of you might be thinking, as I was thinking, 
man, sheep are pretty big. If you've seen any kind of sheep in America, they're huge. Because they're going after meat in America. That's not what they did in Israel. They weren't going after the meat. They were going after the fleece. They were going after the hair and the wool. That was the industry. So the sheep in Israel are small, very small compared to the sheep in America. And so you can easily see a shepherd coming underneath that sheep and lifting it up and walking with it until it can walk again. But sheep wander. You know what else sheep do? Just like us. They also walk the same stinking path over and over and over until it gets into a rut and they can't get out of it. That's literally true in a shepherd's pasture. You will see ruts from sheep. They are predictable and they will go in the same rut following one after another after another. And the shepherd has to lead them into different paths, into different fields. They'll devour an entire field if you leave them until it's desolate. So they trade corners of the field. They trade fields and pasture lands to preserve the grass. It's a lot like what we do. How similar for us. Patterns of sin are so easily rutted into our lives. We run after the things of this world. But this is what our good shepherd does. He leads us out of these ruts. He gets us onto paths of righteousness, and he leads us to green fields that can satisfy. Then look at verse 4, Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Israel's shepherds led their sheep to high meadows. They led their sheep to the fields on the mountains in the summer and then back to the lowlands and the villages for the winter. So when Christ was born, there's a good clue for you. They had not yet, the shepherds, gone with their sheep to the highlands because the shepherds were right outside of Bethlehem. They ran to see the baby Jesus in the manger. But those months of traveling to and grazing in these high meadows were fraught with dangers. You know what the shepherd would do? Now listen to this. This is so beautiful. The shepherd would go to the high meadows. He would go to the pasture lands of the mountains before he ever took his sheep. He went on a solitary journey. This is how they did it. You know what he was looking for? He's looking for landslides. He's looking for obstacles that those sheeps, the sheep's little legs cannot get over, and he's clearing them. He's looking for caves that have evidence of a recent or even now present predator. Anything that's going to show a hazard or a threat to his sheep. He goes to the pasture lands and the mountains before he ever takes the sheep. And when he gets there, he's looking over the pasture lands for, for plants. And these were all through Israel. Plants that were toxic and could kill his sheep. And he pulls out of his bag, attached to his belt, salt and he begins to salt the plants so that they could die by the time he brings his sheep to them this is the care of the good shepherd now we often talk of mountaintop experiences spiritually don't we don't we often talk about the valley of trials the difficulties that we go through the way to the spiritual heights are always through the valley of trials you don't get there any other way. 
But our good shepherd never leads, leaves us in the valley. He leads us as we walk through them. He doesn't ever leave our side. That's what shepherds would do. They would stay with their flocks. And while we journey through these difficult times, our good shepherd is right there with us. In fact, listen, our good shepherd knows exactly where we're going because he's already traveled the journey. And he died on the cross for us. He can sympathize with all of our weaknesses, Hebrews says. Why? Because he was tempted in all things that we are tempted. We're not looking at a, an innocuous shepherd that has no feelings or cannot relate to us. You're looking at, you've never experienced anything, any trial that Jesus did not go through and emerge victorious. And that same victorious God has come back for you to lead you through your own. He knows how to get you to the heights. Well, he knows how to get you to the heights safely because verse 4, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And in biblical times, the high country, when they were in the high country, shepherds carried both of these, staff and rod. A shepherd's rod was a thick, or a stick rather, with a rounded knob on the end typically. It was carved from a root or a tree joint. And it was used to protect the sheep. It was used to discipline them, to count them as he brought them into the fold. The rod was used to part the sheep's oily fleece to check for wounds or infections or evidence of parasites. The rod symbolizes powerfully the word of God that the good shepherd uses in our life. And listen, don't some sermons hurt. And isn't it true that sometimes when you get into the word of God in the morning or the evening or on your lunch break and what you read pains you? Doesn't it bring sometimes sweet agony as it, com as it creates conviction in you and conviction in me? That's the disciplining power, the correcting power of the rod of God's word. But the staff was also part of what the shepherd had used to lift newborn lambs and bring them to their mothers if they were separated, pulling timid sheep closer for examination or out of a crevice or a stream that it might fall into. And he would often, this is so beautiful, he would often lay the hook of his staff against the side of the sheep as they were walking and getting them out of the ruts. He would lay it against the side of the sheep to guide them to the right path or through a gate, sometimes leaving against the, the staff against the side of the sheep, even as they walked. Sometimes it looked almost as if the shepherd's holding the hand of the sheep. It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit that's in the hand of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, guiding his people into fellowship, showing the way of life, rescuing us from difficulties that we again have fallen into that are harmful for our spiritual lives but then we get to verse five you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you know now you're you're you've got the snow melting they're down by the villages or in the lowlands the the pastures around the towns and the shepherds of israel are about to lead their sheep to the high meadows what we call tablelands in the southwest it's a flat high meadow of rich green grass dominating the countryside of Israel. The shepherd walked their journey in spring before leading the sheep. As I told you, he's looking for predators, washouts, anything that could harm the flock. He's salting poisonous plants. He's looking for poisonous snakes. 
this is our shepherd, by the way, who defeated the great snake, the serpent, who deals with anything that could bring harm to his people. In verse 5, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. It's a really interesting thing. I never knew this until I studied this for this sermon, that one of the threats to a sheep were called nose flies. They would come down onto the moist noses of a sheep and they would lay the eggs inside the, the tip of the, or the, the outer part of the nose, right inside the sinus or nasal passages. And when they hatched, the larva would, cr would crawl up, and this is gross, isn't it? Crawl up the sinus passages into the brain. Think Wrath of Khan in Star Trek, one of my favorite movies. If you're not snickering, you probably never, you, you probably need to just get a life, actually. <laughs> when that happens, when the flies come, now listen, you got to get this image. When the flies come, the flock goes crazy. They're racing back and forth to exhaustion. Listen, if the parasites get into the brain, here's what they do. This is documented. Get on Google. You'll understand this. You'll study it. You'll find it. They will beat their heads against rocks and trees. They've even seen sheep run off of a cliff to their death. I don't think it was suicidal ideation. I think it was just mad. It was crazy. They couldn't live with the constant irritation. The heat also, by the way, brings an increase of scabs, which were parasites that would bring contagious diseases. And by the way, sheep are affectionate. They're like my children. You know, we've noticed this. Parents, can this be corroborated in your own families? My children are really not that affectionate until they're sick. Then all of a sudden they want hugs. And they want to kiss me on the forehead. And I'm like, get away from me, you plague carrier. <laughs> Sheep are affectionate. And they will rub heads together and they spread the scab disease. Well, here's what the shepherd would do. By the way, a sheep without blemish almost always in the Bible meant a sheep free of scab disease. Shepherd was prepared, though. They would take out a flask of oil. They would spread it on the head of each sheep to ward off the flies. They would massage it into the skin to bring eventual healing from the scabs. Listen, here we go again. Oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus gives this oil to his sheep abundantly. The flies of fear and worry they rob our peace and our rest and our contentment. He deals with them. The worms of bitterness and unforgiveness that spread, listen, from one gossiping, slandering Christian to another that can affect an entire church, the Spirit of God deals with. Our good shepherd knows this. He gives us the oil of the Holy Spirit, building our unity, restoring to us the joy of our salvation. Now look at verse 6. Surely... Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Shepherds sometimes had sheepdogs that ran behind or beside the flock. And God has two of them. The good shepherd has two of them. Their names are here. One is goodness and the other one is mercy. They're functioning in a sheepdog role in this psalm. And thankfully, goodness and mercy follow us all through our lives. They're there every single morning when you wake up. 
See, the sheep didn't worry that they might not complete the journey to the high meadows, and we can have that same exact confidence. You ever doubt your security in Christ? You ever doubt that your faith is still intact? You ever doubt that maybe, maybe you've lost your salvation? Listen, you need to know Psalm 23. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our shepherd, our good shepherd, will not lose even one of his sheep. He will bring all of them to the high meadow. The high meadow is eternity. Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, loves and cares for each and every one of us. Surely we can say we know the good shepherd. He is good indeed. Well, let me get you to point two, and these are going to go a lot quicker. In fact, I'm not going to really be that much longer. Point number two is we have a good shepherd who has given his life for us. Now, look, we're back to John chapter 10. We're finished with Psalm 23. Get back to John chapter 10 with me, if you would, and look at verse 11. The good shepherd does what? Lays down his life for the sheep. You're going to see this five times in verses 11 through 18. Five times. You know what? The Greek language, it didn't have exclamation points. It didn't have bold and italics and underlines. It had repetition. So when the Bible repeats itself, that's the exclamation point. That means we better really get this. This is of critical importance. Five times he mentions, lay down his life. And he's going to personalize it in verse 15. I lay down my life for the sheep. And that doesn't mean he takes a nap. This is not nocturnal positioning, lying in repose at night. This means he's going to die. Lay down my life means he's going to give his life for us. For even the Son of Man, Mark 10 said, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Mark's way of saying Jesus came to lay down his life. Now, I want you to understand this about shepherding and sheep in Israel. Sheep were more than a commodity. You should have gotten that from Psalm 23. They personally belonged to the shepherd, and he had a name for each. He cared for each. Remember, the name shepherd, the word shepherd, means companion and friend as well. He had a name for each sheep. He cared for each one. Shepherds knew by the way a sheep walked if it was injured. He knew by its behavior if it was anxious. But notice that Jesus said, now look at with me, John 10, look at verse 11, verse 15, verse 17, really super clear in verse 18. He voluntarily gave his life. Boy, you got to get this in your theology, Christian. He didn't have his life robbed from him. He didn't have it seized from him. Jesus gave his life. This is gift language. This is volunteer language. When you give somebody a birthday gift, they didn't compel you to do it. You did it because you love them. This is the way you honor them. This is the way you gift them. This is gift language. And John chapter 15 says, greater love, this is Jesus speaking, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. I have called you friends. Remember the name shepherd means more than someone who leads sheep to a pasture. It means companion and friend. 
How different, now look what he's going to say, how different is the one who's hired to watch the sheep, who's not the owner, he's not the shepherd. Look at verse 12, he who is hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And he's indicting the Pharisees who just expel the man out of the synagogue. He's indicting false teachers of Israel. They're the hired hand. They care nothing for the sheep. Now listen, you got a chance to evaluate your elders and your pastors who are the under shepherds of a church. We, 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 um, we manage, we care for the flock under the good shepherd. Listen, you can evaluate us. Do we love you? Do we care for you? When you're hurting, do we hurt? And when there's a problem and you're, you're running ruts in your life in the same old tendencies and patterns, are we coming along beside you with the staff of the Holy Spirit and leading you out of the ruts and back to paths of righteousness? Your answer likely is going to be sometimes yes, sometimes no. This is how you pray for us. This is shepherding. And the Israel's shepherds, under shepherds, should have been caring for God's sheep as David cared for his father's sheep. Do you not remember where he killed a bear and a lion to protect the sheep? The bear and the lion both took a, took a sheep from the flock. David pursued them, killed them, and brought the still alive sheep back. That's shepherding. And that was not Israel's shepherds. But that is Jesus. The good shepherd, Jesus, laid down his life for his people so that they could live. Let me give you the final point, point number three. We have a good shepherd who has given his life. Here's the next part. For us and gathers his flock. Now look what he says, verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. You know what Jesus said in Matthew 10? He's just beginning his ministry. Verse 6, he came only. He, well, let, me, let me back up a little bit. He sends his disciples out. And he says, I'm sending you only, Matthew 10, verse 6, only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's one sheepfold. That's one flock. But in John, he made clear in verse 16 that he has sheep that are lost in another fold. This is not the fold of Israel anymore. This is the fold of the world. These are Gentiles that he's talking about. And a Gentile was anybody that wasn't a Jew. And the racial divide in the first century between a Jew and a Gentile was way worse than anything you will ever see in this day and age in this country. And you think it's bad now? It was infinitely worse. And I don't think I'm using that wrongly. It was Terrible, horrible, and heinous in first century. Jews despised Gentiles. You know what they believed? They were taught this by their, fault, their, their false shepherds of Israel. They were taught that God created Gentiles for fuel to make hell burn. They were taught this. 
Gentiles looked at Jews as being subhuman. They're not even human. They're a species between animals and humans. There was no love lost between the two groups. And yet he comes to verse 16. He says, there are other sheep. And I'm here's what he's going to do. I'm going to take from the sheep of the world. And I'm going to take from the sheep of Israel. And I'm going to do something that nobody's ever seen coming. Ephesians 3, not even the angels saw this coming. I'm going to bring them both into one flock. They're going to be called my church. And I'm going to have my spirit help them to love each other and live together. And we're going to be living together for eternity. Listen, the only hope, I hope you get this, the only hope that our racially divided world has is Jesus Christ. And it's the salvation that he gives. There are no other means to truly help somebody love another that is different than them. And the church, listen, the church, Cornerstone, the church all over the world must reflect that glad, joyful diversity among the races of the world. We had membership classes today. That means people who want to come into this church as members. We had two black people there. We had two Filipino people there. And all the while, I am privately and personally, I even told them, but I am privately and personally rejoicing and praising God. This is what we're praying. We're praying that God would bring diverse ethnic people to this church. I can't make them come. I don't think you get whiter than me. I mean, I'm reflecting light. But God can. We can learn to love one another. Amen? Let's pray for that. As I close, let me draw some important conclusions for us. Four very quick ones. Number one, you ready? Now, don't, don't close your mind. We're not done yet. Number one, have you responded in faith to the good shepherd's call and followed him into salvation? Listen, odds are, in a group this size, somebody's here that has not yet put their faith in Jesus alone. Listen, there is no prayer that you've got to memorize and pray like an incantation. There's nothing like that in the Bible. Have you realized that your sins have separated you from God and that there's nothing you can do to fix your situation, but there's something that God has done, and that is to send his son, Jesus, to die on that cross so that he can forgive you of your sins and give you righteousness, healing, and fellowship with him. If you can believe that, if you can trust yourself to that, and you cry out to God and confess that you're a sinner and, and confess him to be your Lord, listen, you're going to be saved. You will hear his voice. You will follow him out of the sheepfold of the world. He will lead you to the green pastures of eternity. But you've got to choose to do that. Number two, do you have the humility that must come when you see yourself as a sheep of the good shepherd? Sheep are constantly helpless without a shepherd. And the older you get in Christ, the more you should see the truth of that. You should fall like me onto our knees in humility. I cannot do this Christian life without Jesus. He's still my good shepherd. He's still walking me through the valleys and the trials. He's still getting me 
to the green pastures on the mountains. He's protecting me from everything. He gets me out of the ruts. He's salting poisonous plants in my life. He's getting me onto green pastures. He's helping me stop butting my head. He's helping me overcome the parasites called the world, the devil, and my flesh. We all need our good shepherd. We cannot make it without him. What humility that ought to create in our hearts. Amen. Number three, is your life marked by one of increasing obedience as you follow the good shepherd? And finally, is your love for your good shepherd increasing as you see him more clearly in your life? Can I encourage you as we close, take some time this week and study Psalm 23 and apply it personally to your life and pray it for somebody else's. Can you do that? Study it, apply it, pray it and you will see some unbelievable faith-filled power come into your life let's pray